You're a king eternal. We love you, Father. Lord, thank you for that beautiful song. May it fill our souls. Lord, may we worship you in splendor and in truth and majesty, all the honor that you're due and your worth, that you've loved us sinners. You've provided a way in Christ. Father, renew our hearts. Refresh us today, God, as we come to you and we offer our gifts this morning. Take them. Multiply them. Use them for the building of your eternal kingdom here and abroad, Father. Lord, we could just sit in your presence because in your presence there is continual joy and there's wholeness. That's what our souls long for is to be whole. Renew us now, oh God. We look to you, Jesus, in the name of Christ. Amen. You can be seated. Wow. You're uh, putting the connection cards and offerings and checks as the uh, ushers uh, make their way back, the greeting team. And uh, Mo, will you and Tara just come here for just a minute? This is, uh, this is a Sunday. You know, I have those Sundays that I love and I have those Sundays that I hate. And this is one of them Sundays I love, hate. Can I just tell you, that was incredible. Man, thank you all so much uh, for that last song. And uh, uh, today is a big day in the life of Christ community. They, uh, today's their last day. They moved to Nebraska. I hate the Air Force right now. <laughs> and uh, so do they. But they have been just a wonderful addition to our body. And, man, thank you all for jumping in with everything you all have got to offer praise to Jesus and to make this church more. And... Uh, Y'all, can you just show them a round of affirmation, appreciation for their gifts of worship? Thank you. Yeah, they have a beautiful family, and uh, I have I have bribed. I have asked Tara, her and the kids, which day they could send Mo, and he he, he could fly home on weekends, but it's not going to work. But uh, man, just thank y'all for making our church a lot richer this year. You got to quit crying, man. Uh, Okay, I, lo- I love this couple. I'm, I'm going to try to stay composed because i got to preach. But I just wanted you all to know, so I hope after this service that you'll run over there and just love on them and Kate and Ethan and say, man, thank you for blessing us and don't be a stranger. Okay. All right. Amen. Bless y'all. Well, I need to say. Oh, you want to say something well, good? we've just got to say thank you. Um, you all have been the body of Christ to us. And it's been a challenging year for us. It's been especially for me with my health and I came here sick and with a lot of questions, and we're leaving on the road to recovery. And a lot of that is because of your prayers and your support. Amen. And um, we just we just love you guys. You guys have made this a really y'all. special, wonderful year for us. We will. It's the body of Christ. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. You know, part of our fasting. I know Don and I were praying for Tara's wholeness, for her healing. That was part of the fast for us. And. Uh, She's much better today, and she leaves her and uh, Mo go. So, wow. Well, y'all pray. We've been asking them uh, to pray with us and to send replacements. <laughs> and, uh, man, it, it is summertime in Montgomery, Alabama, isn't it, church? You can tell a lot of people on the road, to, and there was light. There are a lot of people on the road today and all oh, this summer, man. I'm just excited. But I, I'm so thrilled that you chose to be here today. And we're going to continue our series. I'm going to take a break 
sometime this summer later. I'm going to continue to be preaching through the New Testament with you, but I have chosen I'm going to take like a four-week break to do this series I'm itching to do, and then I'm going to come back. I just promised you that I would do the New Testament in 2011, and the church said, I didn't say in order. And uh, it's, a, it's quite a feat to take on the New Testament, and it's a, it's a lot of fun, but i got to tell you, I, I miss preaching series, too. I mean, this is a series, but this is like the series that would never end. But uh, I'm just so excited because I, I'm praying that you're going to grasp and get the New Testament in your spirit, and you're going to begin to love God's Word, and, man, that you'll just love it more every day. I was sitting on an airplane the other day, and I was reading through the book of 1 Timothy, and I was doing some preparation for this morning. And there was a lady sitting on the plane, and uh, she looked at me, and she goes, are you a pastor? Oh, my cover's been blown. I was in shorts and a uh, shirt, and, you know, well, I'm glad I had a shirt on. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, so she goes, are you a pastor? I go, I am. And she began to ask me a series of questions, and, and then she said, uh, I'm really hurting. I've got a tough situation. I've got an uncle that I'm really close to. He's a pastor on the East Coast. And she said, um, he has strayed from the truth. He is messing up, and his congregation doesn't know. She goes, what do I do? Do I confront him, or do I let it go? I've let my family know, and they all go, oh, he's a good man. He's a good man. Just don't say anything. Don't say anything. And I was sitting there. I go, okay, study time's over. <laughs> and I was studying First Timothy that I'm going to teach you today. And I said, Heavenly Father, you have put me on an airplane with a woman that I'll probably never see again. You've set me next to her, and her heart is full and heavy, but you want me to talk to her about leadership in the church of Jesus Christ. And man, I was just, man, I was thrilled. So I, I listened to her, and I talked to her, and then I began to scribble in Keith Waldrop fashion, which is not really neat, and I began to write her notes. And I said, these are scriptures I want you to look at, and I want you to go and confront your uncle in the love of Christ. And I had, I had a word in season for her, but I was preparing for you. Isn't that just like our God? So he took me to that, and I prayed that uh, she told me she took my card. She goes, one day I'm going to come to Montgomery, Alabama, and I'm going to worship with y'all. I go, you'd be welcome. So why not tell you that? Because God's word is relevant, it's alive, it's real, and it's practical. And in 10 words or less, I want to give this to you. Pastors are taught how to conduct their lives in churches. There is the New Testament writings in, in this particular section, in the book of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and the book of Titus, you will find God's word, but it is not primarily sent to the church. It is sent to the pastors, to the church leaders. And he begins to write this and give them admonishment and encouragement about what the church should look like and how to conduct the affairs of the church. And Paul's writing to a younger son, a younger brother in the faith, Timothy himself, and he has a great word for them. So pastors are taught how to conduct their lives in, in, the, in, in their churches, how, how to lead it. And uh, I was thinking, how do you become a God-honoring Christian? You follow God's word. You get in community with other believers and they encourage you, and they hold you accountable, and you become the real deal for Jesus' sake. So this morning, I, I'm just really fired about 1 Timothy, and next weekend we'll do 2 Timothy. And I want to go ahead and make a declaration to you. I'm going to invite you, everybody, I want you to read 2 Timothy. Not now. I want you to read 2 Timothy this week. Maybe read it several times this week. It only took about 12, 13 minutes to read 1 Timothy, all six chapters. And how many have read 1 Timothy before coming this morning? I'm curious. Any of you? 
Okay, well, we were a little bit out of sync, and I didn't have Josh tell y'all to do that, but I hope that you'll try to read along, and next weekend is 2 Timothy, so I'm trying to give it to you. Now, what's the key theme here? It's uh, a doctrinal, practical advice to leaders. There, there's a key verse. I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Will you turn there with me? And as you turn there to the third chapter, in the 15th verse, and in the New American Standard, it has these words. It says... But in case I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. So Paul's trying to tell Timothy, man, this is how you act. This is how you conduct your way of being a Christ follower, of being a pastor, of being a leader. And if you'll follow these ways, and if you'll uh, bring my leadership along in this sense, man, the church will be whole, the church will be healthy. But there were some people, they're always, when you're reading scripture, they're getting off course, they're, they're going astray, they're into sin issues or whatever, and they're missing the mark. In, in the last Olympics, there was this, this skater, and he was a gold medal guy. And he was very, very powerful and very strong, and I think he had to do like 25 laps. His, his last name was Kramer. Anybody remember him? And he was a strong skater. He trained all his life to be an Olympic champion. And, man, he got there, and he skated, and he skated, and, man, he was leading. He was going for the gold, and he was doing his thing. But something happened that resulted in the disqualification of this skater. As he was skating, his coach told him to change lanes. Do you remember it now? And he got in the improper lane. And he was thus disqualified and had to give up the goal, even though he'd won, because he was in the wrong lane. My prayer as your pastor is that I make sure we're in the right lane so we don't get disqualified and we finish the good fight of faith. Amen? I mean, it'd be a shame to go, man, I went to church. I gave tithes. I served. I love God. I didn't kick dogs or cats. I was really nice. But I didn't gain eternal life in Jesus Christ. So I hope that you'll see here. Look here. It's already filled out, but in chapter 1, there's God honoring teaching, the, the, the premises, the precepts, the, the concepts of God go forth in chapter 2 and 3. Now he says, now this is how you have God honoring members, how they become more. In chapter 4, now there's God honoring leadership. This is how leadership should function. This is what it does. And in chapter 5 and 6, now as a result of that, you now have God honoring ministry that flows out of that. In six chapters of Timothy we get a lot of leadership principles. We begin to see maybe four big sections in Scripture that we'll talk about in a minute. But this is a section. It's called the Pastoral Epistles here at Timothy. And I'm, I'm just curious this morning, how many of you have ever led a Bible study? Hold your hand up. Okay. Put your hand down. How many of you have ever led a women's or a men's study specifically? Okay. How many have ever led a junior high study Bless you in Jesus. How many of you have ever led any kind of study? Yeah, you know, you know many of you. Okay, so, so you've led those. How many of you have ever taught a Sunday school class, young or old? Yeah. So all this is for you. And if you haven't, maybe in some season you will because here's what I learned about being a Christ follower when I first started with him. I was given a gift, spiritual gifts, and I was to use them for my master. And when I would use the gifts that God's given me, I would find life. Because if I was willing to lose my life, I would find my life, the scripture teaches. 
And I found quickly that I had a gift of teaching, so I found, I, I found that I had to teach. And when I taught, people were converted. People's lives were changed. People had understanding. So that's why I began to walk in that. And you found your gift, and you walk in that gift. Now, if, if you think you have a gift and you don't have a gift and you're operating that gift, somebody ought to tell you. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you say, well, I think I have a gift of this, and you're horrible at it. Somebody should be bold and honest and go, no, I don't, I don't think you're really gifted at that, but try something else. You know, try something, man. You're, you're killing us, okay? But here it is. So he, he's, uh, Timothy said, hey, you're, you're a mile wide, but you're an inch deep. But I want to instruct the church. I want the church to be more. I want the church to be strong. I want it be, to be valiant for Jesus Christ. So in chapter 1, he gives us God-honoring teaching, the use and the misuse of God's word, teach solid doctrine, proclaim the gospel, defend the faith, but be a Bible-believing Christian. Follow God. Do that. And then in chapter 2 and 3, it says, Now be a God-honoring member, men and women. Be people of prayer. Be in submission to God. And then he goes down to chapter 3, begins to talk about elders and deacons and overseers and what the role is and how you select leaders. And he goes to chapter 4. Now be a God-honoring leader. And a leader should practice the truth. He should preach God's word. He should practice God's word. You know, every weekend, you know, people are like, what are you going to talk about? I'm, I'm going to talk about the Bible. <laughs> I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to instruct you from God's Word, illuminated by the Holy Spirit, because it has the issues of life. And I can find eternal life through the study of Scripture. It points me to Jesus. I can find how to live my life and how to forgive people, not how to hold grudges, and how to find joy, and how to find healing, and hope, and wholeness, and leadership, and a future. And rewards and all these things. So we begin to say, God, I love your holy word. And then chapter 5 and 6, he says, now, now that you've done these things, now you have a God-honoring ministry. You're going to now have a ministry that's going to honor the Father. It's going to be a ministry that people are going to say, man, God is in this place. God is in our midst. He's, he's doing something new. He's doing something supreme. And then he goes on and he begins to talk about elders and leaders and those that preach. And he says, man, they're worthy of honor and pay them and encourage them and support them and I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for that verse. And so is your staff. So I just wrote here on the notes, it says, watch your life. That's being practical. Watch your doctrine. That's being theological. Theological means how I think about God. And he says, and now persevere. And that means be faithful. You know, that's my big prayer. God, I want to be faithful. I want my friends to be faithful that we finish the race that we started. Because if we'll be faithful, we'll bring honor to Jesus Christ. At the end of your days, is somebody going to say, woman was faithful. The man was faithful. The student was faithful. That child was faithful. Even in their young years, they were faithful to the truths of Jesus Christ. You're saying, well, I hope it will be said of me. So let's launch into these five things that, that these things matter. These things matter more. Now, we all could have lists of things that matter to us, and this matters to you, and this matters to you, and that matters to you. But these five foundations are essential for Christ followers that they matter to God, so they ought to matter to us. So let's just launch into this together and see what we can do together. Number one, your theology matters to God. You know, I went off to Emory University many years ago, and I was studying theology. And you know, all my life I've been studying something. I studied uh, biology and sociology and criminology and theology. And it, all, it just means, theology means the study of something. And that's why I wrote the book. 
You got it now. Neology, okay? The study of prayer. So this theology is how I think about God. What does my belief system look like? What kind of skeleton does it hang on? I remember one of the professors I had at Emory, and he was in an early uh, theology class, and he goes, man, theology is basically a skeleton. It's what you hang your faith on. It's how your belief system rests. And then you get into systematic theology and all these courses that you probably don't care anything about. But he goes, you've got to build a solid theology to know what you believe and why you believe it. Because there's, there's dangerous teachings in the world. They're erroneous People that will come to pick you off, they'll, they'll give out false teachings. And so your belief, your faith, your theology, they matter. They drive everything. And so God wants to build in us character and obedience. And obedience leads to trusting God. Uh, you know, I hope that's what happens. I just hope you trust God more this year than you did last year. And that you just continue to say, my, my level of trust is, is stair case. It, it just it, it, it goes up. Not, man, my faith is diminishing. My faith is weaker than it was 10 years ago. Then something's wrong. And also he goes in here, how to recognize the real deal. When you have a real authentic theology, you have an agape love. You have the love of the Father in your life, and you can love people with God's love because God becomes real, because he manifests himself. And also it begins to focus primarily on character and obedience and the trust of Christ. So I'm praying, God, give us theology. I, I look here at Timothy, and he's just, look there in chapter 1, in, in verse 3, he moves down, he goes, and that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines. He's trying to refute those. And then he goes over in verse 5, the goal of this command is love. Love is critical. Circle the word love in your Bible, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. But some have wandered away from these, and they have now turned to meaningless talk. Meaningless talk, rhetoric. Anybody heard any rhetoric lately? Have you turned on your TV lately? Have you turned on talk radio lately? And you hear a lot of meaningless talk. Just filling the space. God's word wants to fill the space. It wants to fill the void. It's eternal truths of the king. So he begins to say here, I want my church to be filled with faith and love, or you can choose to fill it with controversy. But you better choose the first option. Your life and mine better be filled with faith. And it better be motivated and expressed with the love of Christ. There's, there's controversial passages throughout the Bible. I'm not, maybe I ought to do a series sometimes about controversial passages that keep us up at night or make us want to challenge one another. And I'm, I'm going to get into one in just a minute just, to, just because I want to stir somebody up today. Is that okay with y'all? Okay. I hadn't done this in a long time, and, and I kind of debated it, but I thought, you know, why not? i tell you what. I encourage you to read 2 Timothy, and I so wish I'd have told you last week to read 1 Timothy. There is a section in 1 Timothy that I think gets misrepresented. It gets mispresented. Uh, it gets out of context. When you take Scripture out of context, I want you to write this down. When you take Scripture out of context, you simply have a pretext. We read God's word in context and in the totality of God's word. And the church said, now, wait a minute. And the church said, I want you to hear that because I think I'm smart enough and I know other people are smart enough. If you're not careful, you can extract verses from the word of God to build any kind of theology you want, but it's out of context. 
That's why you read the verses before, you read the verses after, you read the chapters before, you read the totality, the wholeness of Holy Scripture. Isn't that right? But a lot of people run around quote one verse. When you quote one verse, you're dangerous. You're saying, what is he going to talk about today? I'm glad you asked. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. And all the men said, don't be stupid. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. She must be silent. Let's close our Bibles and go home. Let's have another offer. Now, that verse gets quoted sometimes. I got daughters. And if we'd have just majored on this verse, and said, hey, the Bible said, be quiet, woman. Be silent. I tell you what, I don't advise any of you to tell your fiancé, your girlfriend, or your wife to be quiet. You're saying, but God's Word said... You have not read God's Word in context. Years ago, I got into a strong biblical debate with somebody about this verse. They didn't understand the context of Holy Scripture and what God was trying to do. So I want to just try to break it down here. He says, learn in quietness. And some of you go, man, that's kind of embarrassing to, to follow that. But when you see it in context, in Acts chapter 2, it says, sons and daughters prophesy. For sons and daughters to prophesy means that they speak publicly. Does that sound like a woman being quiet to you? Doesn't to me. And so he began, and then in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, goes into this whole prophetess and prophet, women prophesying and all this, and then he speaks to Timothy in this verse here. But the thing is, there in Ephesus, there was these different gods that the people were worshiping. They, they were small gods, little Gs. There was a god of Diana. And then there was the God, uh, and she was the female God that dominated that culture. She dominated Ephesus in, in cult fashion. And she was loud and obnoxious. And, and, and basically, when you break this down into Greek, it says they were taking authority. She was taking authority over the men. She was disrupting the church. She was, um, in a violent manner, usurping the authority of man. That's what it means. So there was chaos. He didn't want this... Uh, false religion, this cult coming into the church and taking over. So he says, look, in the context of what's going on, you need to be quiet. You need to listen. And, and why, why not I tell you all that? Because I want you to read Scripture as a whole. I want you to read all the verses, okay, church? This is critical for you to be a Christ follower, not to go find three verses that you like and build your theology on it. It's not a very good theology. Matter of fact, it's kind of shallow, and you'll, you'll see that, man, it looks like Scripture is violating. It's not violating. It just lives in holy tension. So I, I thought it was kind of fascinating. I thought I would jump into this, that maybe we could understand the context of the New Testament more if we read it in the fullness, not in one verse at a time. But let me say this. The goal, somebody write this down. The goal of instruction is always love. Love motivates you to live for Christ. If you're just doing it just to have knowledge, just to be puffed up, just to be full of yourself, man, you've missed the whole goal of the gospel, the whole goal of teaching sound doctrine. Timothy talks about guard the doctrine. Refute those that come against doctrine. Look at the second point with me. Your passion for lost people matters. 
You know, this, a few weeks ago, I really preached on this heart about the lost, and we need the lost coming, and we need to be reaching out to the lost, and we need to be trying to win those that are far from Christ, they're far from the cross. But in 1 Timothy 1.15, it says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Now, Paul could say that, and I think he qualified pretty good. Paul was the great uh, persecutor of believers. He was ordering them to be killed and to to be hurt and to be injured and to be harmed. And, man, Paul was not. I mean, if Paul came to your party, man, you were scared in the early days. Like, I don't know, what's he going to do, take us out? And he goes, hey, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the worst. I missed the mark. But lest the grace of God ambushed me, it changed me, and now I'm the apostle Paul because of the goodness of God. And he begins to see. In Luke 5, 32, write this down. It says, I've come not to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners. It is always God's will that people come to faith in Christ. And we could get into the whole doctrine of the elect and what all that means. And I don't have time to cover all that this morning. But I know this. It is God's will not that anyone should perish, but some will. And some will reject the claims and the authority and the lordship of Jesus Christ. And they could be here today. Repent of that. Follow Christ. Get to know God. Christ came to save you regardless of how much sin you've committed. I'm excited about that. I feel like I was the chief of sinners. And Christ came to save me when I was a 19-year-old freshman. And I'm glad that he stopped by my address. How about you? Are you glad Christ stopped by for you? You're like, well, you know what? God's just lucky to have me. Well, man, you, you are full of pride. Just let us know where you're going to sit next Sunday because we don't want to sit anywhere near you. You might go up in a flame. <laughs> Think God's lucky to have me. That's <laughs> stupid. Man, we're lucky to have Christ. We're blessed to have the riches of God and to follow him. So Christ comes to save sinners. Look at 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. This is good. It pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So the, I would say this. The door of, the repentance, the door of repentance is open to all that will come. And God draws us. He, um, there's a term called provenient grace. He pursues us. He comes after us. We've wandered astray, and God comes looking for us. And, but all won't be saved. So let me, I, I just want to say that. I understand that. There's this, this writer. I'm going to leave him nameless. He's written some really good stuff, and then he's really gotten off. He's gotten into universalism and all this mess. But all people will not be saved. I want you to know it right here. All will not be in heaven. Only those that have trusted in the blood and the righteousness and have repented of sin and received the grace of God and followed Christ will go to heaven. Amen? You say, well, Mary, how about my, how about my uncle? I almost said Uncle Susie. That'd be weird. That'd be a bigger problem. Okay. My Uncle Joe or Aunt Susie. How about my favorite grandmother? How about my favorite boss? How about this? Well, I don't know. Do they know Christ? If they knew Christ, if they had Christ in their life, if Christ had transformed them, absolutely, they're secured of eternal life. We could go through all the scriptures on that. But here's what I'm hoping. Let God ignite a holy passion in you and me to proclaim the gospel. To proclaim it, to live it, to share it. You're the best witness. I'm sitting on this plane. I didn't know, like, okay, God, am I supposed to share Christ with her? Couldn't find out. She knew Christ. She had a question. And the pastor said, well, I'm studying Timothy. I'm going to talk to you about it. Let's grow together in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. That's what 1 Peter teaches. But, but you begin to look. Let's look at the third thing. Your humility level matters to God. 
I think it's in James, God says, I oppose the proud, but I give grace to the humble. See, God's never been into pride. Lucifer, Satan knows that. He cast him out of heaven. God shares his glory with no one. Paul writes to remind Timothy that God uses unlikely people. I'm thrilled about that. If you'd have told me years ago that I was going to be a pastor and I would speak to people every weekend and preach and proclaim the gospel and teach, I'd go, yeah, whatever. It's an honor. And I feel like I was an unlikely candidate. Maybe you feel like you're an unlikely candidate, but God wants to use us. And a call to Christ is a call to serve. It's one of the things I love about Mo and Tara. They came on early. Mo and Tara wanted to have dinner with us one night. And we sat down and we talked about the church and what our theology was. Because Mo and Tara goes, theology matters to us and to God. And I passed that test. Second test was, I like Mexican food. He thought, I think you like that. <laughs> the third thing was, I said, man, we'd love to have y'all in worship. Little did I know his wife had an anointing on the violin, and he had an anointing to sing and play acoustic and do the things they did. And I went, whoa. And Jeff Bush was brand new. And he looked at me. They've become great friends. He goes, your worship leader is a young man. I said, he is a young man. He says, he's really good. He said, you know, I'd like to come serve with him for the next year. I went, Really? I'm like, really? You want to hang out with Jeff? And so he comes for the next year. And for this whole year, man, they've been just an integral part. And my prayer is that you, if you're sitting there and you're still not serving, you find your place. And let's pray that others will come in and they'll help us serve because that's what makes the, great, the church really great. A call to Christ is a call to serve. You're saying, but I don't play the violin. I don't either. I don't play an acoustic and I don't sing. I don't either. Hey, I don't do this. I don't either. Hey, I'm 25. I'm not. Hey, I'm over 50. I am. Hey, I've got hair. I don't. I mean, you don't want to see man. Whatever. God uses unlikely people. Didn't that thrill you? Look around this room. There are people doing things. They have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> yep. But God is equipping the unqualified. He's qualifying them. And he's equipping people in this room. And he's calling us forward. I'm like, God, I like this. And I want to give you a verse here. Everybody loves this verse. It's on T-shirts everywhere. 1 Timothy 4, 12, and 14. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Those five things. Do not neglect the gift which was given you through the prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Now, I like what that verse says. It says, don't let people look down on you because you're young. And if you want to make me mad, say this. Our youth, they're at a church of tomorrow. <laughs> they're the church of the living Christ today. Our children right now over in the theater, they're the church of Jesus today in 2011. One time somebody said, you count anything that breathes that comes on campus. I go, I sure do because I've got a soul and they matter to God. And our children matter to our Heavenly Father. And our youth matter to our Heavenly Father. And our adults matter to our Heavenly Father. And yes, old geezers like me matter to our Heavenly Father. We all matter to God. So God says, I want to do something. And, and here's the thing. Some young people, hear me, youth. Don't let your age and people gather up ammunition to use that against you. Walk in these things. Set an example. Have great speech. Conduct. Your love, your faith, your purity. Let it be an example to the rest of the world. I see some of the greatest examples by the young people of our church, our collegians, our young adults, our teenagers, our senior citizens. We don't have a lot of them, but, you know, they're good. But don't look down on one another. I mean, 
you know, some commentaries say that, you know, maybe in this thing he's talking about, maybe if you're over the age of 40 year old. That's such a sad thought to me. But maybe I am old. And you're saying, but Keith, I'm 39. We'll still call you young. But when you turn 40, let us know. We'll party and say, you old person. How easy. There you go. But let go of the small stuff and say, God, I want to have your call in my life. You're my God. I mean, Timothy, he was an unlikely leader in 412. He's too young. In, five, in chapter 5, verse 23, listen to this. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because your stomach and your frequent illnesses. In other words, Timothy, he was sick. You're saying, hey, just a young buck. Nah, he's sick. And then look at 2 Timothy, which we'll do next week, 1-7. It says, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power. He was a timid individual. He goes, but Timothy, Tim, 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 you've got Oh, that's the loose Greek. You've got power. You've got self-control. You've got a sound mind. You've got love. You've got self-discipline. Follow Christ. Be my man. Number four, your family life matters. Paul wrote here to remind Timothy that leadership begins at home. 1 Timothy 5.8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is now worse than an unbeliever. Now, let's get real practical. That verse tells us we have responsibility to our families. Not to push them aside, not to push them on somebody else, but to care for those. And if something happens tragic or some disease or something horrific in your family, it is your responsibility first to take care of your family. And then if you're struggling, then you go to the church. Then you go to others and you get help. But it's not for you just to blow them off and throw them on somebody else. You know, leadership works best when you prioritize how you serve and how you love your family. Here, here it is. Number one, most important for me is my relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm a person, I'm made to worship God, so I have to prioritize. You write this down. You have to prioritize your relationship with your father first. Secondly, I am a partner. If you're married, I am a partner to Donna. Don't you write down, you're a partner to Donna. You are not, I am. But you're a partner to your spouse, and that's the second most important relationship. Third, I am a parent. If you have children, I prioritize my priority that my, my kids are like the third most important thing to me. You take responsibility. You love them. You nurture them. You encourage them. And fourth, for me, I am a pastor. And I have a responsibility to feed the flock and encourage the flock and serve the flock and shepherd the flock. But you just begin to live because your relationships matter to God. How many believe that? How many believe your family matters to God? I've heard people... Make stupid, audacious statements. I'm so busy preaching the gospel, I wasn't there for my kids when any of them were born. Are you still married? How dumb is that? Oh, I don't listen to my wife. I tell that woman, woman, be quiet, the Bible says. And we know that was out of context. Man, you honor your family. That's my greatest treasure on earth. My family. Is your family precious to you? We're a faith family. You're precious to me. We need to be precious to one another. The fifth thing, quickly, your lifestyle matters. Paul wrote to remind Timothy that character counts. And there he goes back on him again. Hey, don't look down on you because you're young. And he begins to talk about the lifestyle, the, the way we lead, the way we devote ourselves, how we uh, walk out this life. And, and there, if you go back now to 1 Timothy 3, 
he talks about church leaders and here's what they possess and as we come into different paradigms and different seasons of leadership and that's a whole nother time i have to talk to you about leadership and what god's doing and i ask you to pray this afternoon i'm meeting with a bunch of men and women on the ministry leadership team about vision casting and future and ideas and would, would you pray would you pray church this afternoon about 15 16 people are going to gather in a conference room for a few hours and our whole elder thing, and we've got one now in Mexico and uh, different things. You need to be praying about that. But I want you to see what the Bible says in 1 Timothy 3. Look at verse 2. These people are to be blameless. In verse 2, they're to be a husband of one wife. So, men, are you loving your wife as Christ loves the church? Number three, they'll be temperate, so, sober-minded, good behavior. Are you a master of yourself? Four, they'll be hospitable. Are they warm? Do they exhibit that kind of welcoming? Five, they're able to teach. Do they equip others? Do they cause others to be spurred on to love Jesus Christ? Number six, they're not given to wine. They're, they're sober. They're watchful. They're diligent. They don't damage others by when they watch them. Number seven, they're not violent. They're not quarrelsome. They don't have an unapproachable disposition. They're, they're the God thing. Number eight, they're not greedy. They're not covetousness. They're, they're not allowing their leadership to be controlled by the rich. Let me just say this. That's, that's a real price in leadership. Sometimes rich, and rich isn't bad. The love of money is, is the root of all evil, right, church? But sometimes people want to control you, and you, and you just don't want to be controlled by the rich. And I'm just grateful for the people we have in our church. We have rich, we have poor, we have middle, we have people looking for jobs. You know what I'm saying? But you don't want to be controlled by rich. You want to be controlled by God. And then look at this, number nine, they rule their house well in verse four and five. They manage their own family before they try to manage the church. I mean, that is critical. You want your family to be in line. And then the 10th thing, they're not a novice. They're, they're seasoned. They're, they're an example to insiders and outsiders. They, they've been a Christian for a while. They're not just some new convert. So their lifestyle matters to God. They've been freed by grace. They've been saturated by the goodness of God. Are we being fired up with full devotion to Christ? Write that thought down. Are you being fired up this morning in full devotion to Jesus? Just all out for God. I'm devoted to Jesus. I'm going to live for him. Oh, I pray we do. And then here's the last one. You're fueled by scripture. Never will forget what LeBaron Boone told me several years ago. I always asked him, I said, man, what, what do you like about our church? You know, and he, he had several things, but he goes, well, you love that book. And you teach God's book. And you love scripture. And that's where I want my family to be. Amen. And we want to be aligned up on it, freed by the grace of Christ, that our experience of grace is so great, that we're fired up like young Timothy, that we're going to be fully devoted to Jesus Christ. And then lastly, we're going to be fueled by the scripture that God's word uh, fills us. If we ignore the Bible, we ignore the Father. If we ignore the Bible, we ignore the Son. If we ignore the Bible, we ignore the Holy Spirit. We can't ignore and I got this last thing from Ray Johnston. I loved it. Sin fascinates and then assassinates. Sin will always try to entice you and me. But ultimately, it will kill us. And I pray that we'll let Scripture, we'll hide it in our hearts that we won't sin against our holy God. And we'll follow him in full devotion like young Timothy. Timothy, thank you for being a leader and a follower of Jesus. Let's pray. 
Lord, how good it is to be in your presence this morning with your faith family. And God, I thank you for the the lives that are here. And Lord, we're going to celebrate your goodness in this last song today. But God, today, I pray that we would have sound doctrine and we would love Scripture and we would study Scripture and read Scripture and apply Scripture and do Scripture until you come again. Jesus, we love you. Amen. Hey, can I invite you to stand? Because this is like going to be a really big song. And this is just our huge benediction, declaration of praise.